Wait for it. Wait for it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction, especially Nick. And he is our special guest today. So let me take that logo off the screen for those of you uh, watching from the cheap sheets. Cheap sheets, cheap seats, cheap sheets, cheap seats, cheap tomato. This would be, I guess, low thread count. Anyway, I stumbled all over that one. Uh, anyway, Nick, you're uh, you're the small press in review today. I decided. We oh man, we've I, done I got three ratings. I don't know, but we didn't do Apogee, and I figured this is a good way to start season four. Yeah, absolutely. So did Never you ever interviewed me before? This we be did fun. episode two, season one. Yeah, yeah. I think so, uh, that's when I came onto the show. Yeah. Did you have a good Festivus for the rest of us? Now that the yeah, uh, is over. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Thank God. Now I can start recuperating my bank account. <laughs> and our waistline. Time to hit the gym again. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I mean, so many good desserts, and you only heart has only so many beats. So enjoy. This is this is true. I mean, I'm just saying. Sometimes around certain holidays like Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter, I definitely get the Romans a little bit more with those vomitoriums. Oh yeah. Just so you can keep on eating the good stuff. Yeah, if it didn't hurt my throat so much, I'd totally be in. So I'm just going to have to digest it like a normal person. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get you that. Uh, you know, I'm just not that dedicated. I'm a little too lazy for that. But So for those of you uh, who, who missed episode two, Nick, you have talked a lot, obviously, because we've done, what is this, episode 300 and something, almost 400. But uh, for those that are finding us for the very first time, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Absolutely. I'm Nick Garber. I'm the uh, president and chief financial officer for Apogee Comics. I'm also an artist and writer within the company. Uh, Army vet. I did some time with Second Ranger Battalion and in the National Guard with um, a prestigious light infantry unit, 1st Battalion, uh, 184 Infantry Regiment. And I'm currently working for the government. Please don't hate me. I'm not a I'm not a tax man or anything like that. I'm on the law, enf law enforcement side of the house. He's a G-man. That's what he is. Wait, I'm is a G-man. Yeah. G-unit. All right. All right. And uh, for those of you who don't know how we found them, I don't know. Walt uh, introduced us when we were looking for a co-host because, you know, when you got kids and all that, sometimes you need to be able to, to go off on a on a last minute thing. Stuff happens and having a third host made things work. Uh, and you were a veteran, so it worked for us. Uh, and then having you in comics gave us sort of a diverse perspective when we interviewed non-bookish uh, things, although I feel like we haven't done enough, enough comics for this. I know. And I'm like, I guess I'm one of the most stable – stable sounds bad um, – attainable comic people um, schedule-wise um, to, to get on a show. So, like, I, I that's my goal for this this season is get more of my uh, my fellow geekery nerdum folks interviewed on here. Okay, um, yeah, we are working on doing more in season four. Um, um, that is the plan, anyway, to do more comics and stuff. But we've also because started let's past October. Stabby had us go down the horror train, and I'm just saying the blood trails were horrific. It was it was dirty, gross, and <laughs> She wants more of it. She said, I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. I want more. All the time. 
all the horrors. Oh, horror. Horrors. Right, right. Yeah. We're going to move on before that question gets clipped out of context. Um, so, you know, we've done all the religion questions, the original ones, because, well, we answer them every time we talk to people and we interject. So I'm going to ask you some comic related ones. Are you ready for this, sir? I'm ready. Shoot. All right. Green Lantern, Guardians of the Galaxy or Rom Space Knight? Ooh, you don't hear Rom's name spoken aloud. Um I love all three of those properties, but I have to say as a kid getting into comics, ROM was probably my favorite because um, I'd never seen anything like him before. And he was kind of goofy. It, it was it was just a fun comic. Okay. Um, so what was ROM about? I don't think I've heard of that one other than... I couldn't tell you, man. I couldn't tell you. I knew he was uh, a robot that fought weird stuff in outer space um hence the space night subtitle or sub sub yeah subtitle um he had a cool design it was very simple it was very clean um and at a time of being into like transformers and gi joe it just kind of it fit right in that little nook so um yeah i couldn't tell you i can tell you squat about a character which is funny but of the three listed, I, I think he was he was my favorite at the time. All right. And because we're polytheistic, we're uh, we're doing the fantasy side with comics. Again, if you notice the theme, dear listener. Uh, so Conan the Barbarian, John Carpenter, Warlord of Mars, Mars, wow, I can speak tonight, or Battle Chaser. <laughs> oh, man. That's a tough one. Uh, Conan was awesome. Um, cause I'd seen the movies, uh, the comic books kind of really went deep into his adventures, you know, as, as much as they could, cause it was, uh, uh, produced by Marvel comics. So like you couldn't have the, uh, you know, three way with the snake charming girls and stuff like that, or some of the gratuitous, uh, sex and violence. There was violence. There was some good violence in there, but it was usually against like, uh, like dragons and stuff like that, creatures. The occasional guy would get ran through. Um, usually because he was talking smack, he had no manners, and Conan reminded him of that. Now, I don't know if this is still true, but I know at one point in time, comics had certain oversight which prevented certain violence and stuff. Yeah, you have the um, comic book authority code. Yeah, do they still apply? Does that still apply? No, that went out the window... Well, the rumor is, is that even though they were putting the, the comic book authority code on the books, they were violating it because people were asking, well, what's in it? And nobody could give them an answer of what the actual codes were, what what were the actual guidelines. Uh, it was, it's uh, comes from McCarthy era stuff where they thought like comic books were turning kids gay or turning them into criminals and just they're blaming it for everything. It was like it was, it's a gateway to communism. You know, it's like, how can you have a gateway to communism? And like Captain America was like the most popular comic when that came out. So I would think a money making enterprise that's, you know, hey, spend money to buy a thing you like would be the opposite of communism. Yeah. You know, that's straight up capital market, market economy. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of people in the industry that claim to be communists, but they get mad when they don't make money or don't get a return on their comic book that they made. So I'm like, I don't know if you're, I think they're going to take your red card away, bud. So they're communists with a uh, capitalist problem. I've met a few of those in the book publishing industry as well. 
Yeah, those people usually like Star Trek, but we don't have food replicators yet, so that's why we can't reach that utopia. I even if and we've talked about this a few times, when we talk track, but I don't. Even if we had that utopia, I don't think it would go the way they think, only because if humanity is just we're meant to do things to work, and you know, if you take away the the ability to strive for things, I think it would be the death of the human population. You'd oh yeah, go well, well, you'd be voting you flat blobs. Yeah, like in Wally, um, you see it in uh, when with retirees because we're purpose driven creatures. Um, you see it a lot in law enforcement. Um, usually, the, the old adage is that, like you'll die after five years of being retired because you're you're not doing you're not doing anything. You like rationalize yourself like, hey, I did this stuff for 20, 30 years. I was constantly on the go. I was constantly doing this. I was chasing bad guys, and then uh, now you don't you don't have a purpose anymore. So most of them sit on the couch, watch daytime TV drink beer all afternoon you know and then yeah the heart's gonna run out because you're not you don't have a purpose anymore i think that's what keeps you alive yeah i know a lot of people who were convinced that they would literally drop dead the minute they retired so they you know they go in from the military to the post office or whatever just something anything yeah like even a hobby taking like everybody's got hobbies um take a more active interest in that hobby because now you got time turn that into a you know, a part-time job or a full-time job that you enjoy and you get to be your own boss, you know, that'll definitely keep you alive for a while. Yeah. All right. And because we are uh, civilized human beings, at least um, Stabby tries to make us that way. Coffee or tea? And how do you take it? Wait, wait, wait. We asked him that one already in other episodes. I got it. Favorite energy drink? Uh, Monster. Ultra Sunrise. It's like a Not f- Red Bull? Uh, I was a Red Bull guy for a while. And I, when they started making different flavors, um, I enjoy those too, but I don't know what it is. It's, um, I know what it is. Like the flavor of the monsters is good and they come in a bigger can and, uh, you've got to trust an energy drink that you drink one and then you go to CVS and stick your arm in the blood pressure machine and all the bells and whistles go off and it's telling you, you should probably seek emergency help quick. Yeah. I, and the funny thing is, is you can track a man's service in the military by what uh, energy drink he's drinking because, you know, they cycle. Like when we were there, Red Bull was the thing, but, you know, Monster was barely out. And I don't think there was any of the other coffee flavored ones that came around. Rip it. And no, stuff. this came yet. later. So it was, yeah. it was Red Bull or nothing when we were in Iraq. Well, they used to have them in the chow hall in Iraq. And then yeah. I would go in there and I'd uh, the cargo pockets and the trousers will hold six Red Bulls. So I used I used to uh, because as the convoy commander or it's convoy commander as the security commander for the convoy I interface with all the the TCNs we were escorting so I would mm-hmm. sometimes liberate stuff from the mess hall for them because KBRs oh, wow. do not treat them very well and so I used to come bearing the energy drinks and they'd get all jittery and they're like oh you're better than Alibaba I don't know if that was an insult or a compliment but they took the drinks no that means thief <laughs> that means thief. I was a good sergeant you know soldiers and sailors stay off the grass right yeah. Uh, well, you know, a, a good NCO will go to any means necessary to make sure their guys are properly fitted for the mission. And Red Bull, we ran on Red Bull and water. Yep, caffeine and hate. Uh, but just yep. for the record, dear listener, there are actually only there's only one thief in the military. Everyone else is just getting their crap back. Just yeah, so there's only one. Your adrift is a gift. Yeah, the Marines taught me that one when they liberated our freaking tow bars. But we've told that story before. Oh, we yeah. got them even too. I'm just saying a little bit of guide on in the porta potty action going on. All right. So uh, you've got a favorite energy drink. Do you cycle through them seasonally or is it um, all the time? 
Uh, it's every day. It's it's like my glass of OJ. No, no, no. I mean, like, do you cycle flavors and what you like? By oh, um, every so often they come up with a new flavor. Like uh, when watermelon came out, that was pretty good, but it wasn't good for breakfast. That's what I liked about Ultra Sunrise is that it tastes like orange juice. So if it's in my brain, it rationalized it as, hey, it's practically orange juice. So it's good for you. Fair, uh, fair. The watermelon flavor is good. Oh, they have a uh, like a Granny Smith apple one now. Oh, I do like Granny Smith uh, apples. It, it's got the same tartness as as eating that apple, and it comes in a green can. I just call it, give me a green can because the name they give it doesn't fit the flavor. Whatever works. So, you know, we, we've we interviewed you before, but it's been a while. Not everyone went back to the beginning, but you just said, obviously, that you were in the, in the Army. So how do you feel yeah. like your time in the big green weenie affects the way you tell stories as both a comic book creator and an author? Because you were both. Um, I would say <laughs> the Army gives you lots of opportunities for dealing with traumatic stuff uh, through either gallows humor or... Uh, getting focused into other things. Um, the, so for me, that was creating things. So uh, experiences in the army allowed me to flesh out a lot of my characters and create characters, new characters based on my experiences and kind of give them personas based off some of the cool people that I met along the way. And some of the, some of the not cool people, obviously they're villains. Okay. So, so being in the army. Speaking of the cool people and the not so cool people, do you ever draw from people you served with? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, sometimes I, there'll be an amalgamation of like three people or four people, you know. Um, sometimes it's, it's them to a T. So I got two characters in my Phantom Hawk series. Um, they're both detectives um, and they're uh, Downs and Gonzo are their names downs is based off uh a buddy of mine when we were in iraq he was one of my team leaders one of my subordinate dudes but he uh we, we find out in the deployment that uh we're like fourth cousins twice removed and he had like the same last name as my uh my grand or uh, my mother my mother's maiden name so um yeah i to a T, optimistic, hopeful, in shape. Even the same tattoo that the character has is uh, is tattooed on his arm. So, and then there's uh, Gonzo, who's he? Uh, he was a tall. Well, he's still tall, but he was kind of like a he was a fit dude, but he wasn't huge, like muscular. Like he he was a, he was a tall guy. He he worked admin. Um, probably the toughest admin dude I ever met. And uh, uh, in between deployments, because the guard is kind of like a, a task force almost, you know, it goes and it deploys and we get back and people go to different units and whatever. Well, when I linked up with him again in Kosovo, he's just this yoked monster, you know? And I'm like, like, what the hell, Gonzo? What happened? He's like, what do you mean what happened? I'm like, are you sure that's you? He's like, yeah, that's me. I'm like, no, you were the thing that ate him because you were just like specimen, dude. Like, what the hell? So he got really into fitness. He really got into religion. So and we called him Puerto Rican rock because that's what he looked like. He was he's from the Bronx, New York. Uh, his ethnicity is Puerto Rican. He speaks super fast Spanish. 
Um, you know, but he he started shaving his head. So he started, he looked, we called him Puerto Rican rock. So drew that in the comic books. And then uh, Downs, I, I gave him longer hair. He usually had like a pretty high fade, but like his hair would be long on top. So I just grew the hair on the rest of his head. Okay. I dig it. Um, okay, so 2001, Stabby wrote in the sidebar. Uh, she could have said it, but she's muted and forgot where the button was. So they ended the uh, the comics code in 2001 officially. Okay, that's good to know. Because um, we were talking about that with the Marvel. Um, so you, you mentioned, obviously, we've talked about this, how your time in, in the Army affected the way you create content and the stories you tell. Do you feel like it affects the way you engage with uh, both comics and um, media of other venues, books, movies, that sort of thing as a consumer? Uh, like yeah. Um, I try to keep, like, if there's any type of military thing that's going on in any of the books, and I try to put at least one vet in every title because um, I, I want that connection still. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. I try to make it as accurate as possible because I know, like me, when I, I watch a lot of stuff that has military action in it, if it's not accurate, I'm annoying stabby here by going, Oh, that's not accurate. Nope. That wouldn't happen. You know? Um, but I do tiptoe on the line where you got to like, uh, suspend disbelief for a little bit. Cause it's a comic book after all. Uh, yeah. As a consumer, I, I try to put myself in the consumer shoe and I think that probably what's makes my books kind of, uh, it makes them successful and I retains readership. So and that, that's all, that's all stuff that I learned in the military. Like if you can do something, do it right. And then on the business side of the house, uh, it's kept me very organized, task-based. Um, I write op orders instead of memos, you know, about how I want to accomplish stuff. So yeah, my time in the military definitely helped me out with that and how I tell a story, how I write a story uh, and mostly it's accuracy and I want it to be believable. So Okay. All right, as much as you can, you know, because it's still a comic book. It's still guys that fly and break walls with their bare hands. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, um, if you get too close to accurate, you're going to bore people because, you know, they want some of the – like, for for instance, if you do proper radio protocol when you're, when you're writing in the comics, like, you can make a nod at real – but if you do it exactly right, people are going to be like, all right, there's, they're out for the count. So you have to Hollywoodize it a little bit to make it entertaining, you know? Yeah, you kind of got to know where you where you can bend the reality part um, for the reader. Uh, and it, it takes a lot of planning, too, because I got to run it by somebody that uh, is military adjacent, like a spouse or something like that. I'm like, hey, could you read this? And then they're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And can you really, can guys really do that? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, but I needed it because it furthered the plot and it added tension. And so, yeah, uh, reading groups, uh, friends and family. And I, and I got to remind them, be, be as harsh as you possibly can be. Don't hurt. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm trying to make a better product. And the only way to do that is by tearing me down, you know, or tearing the work down if it's not working for you. So yeah, there's a way to help and to do that without being a jerk too. Cause sometimes right. you go in hard jerk mode. Like you're, 
it's counterintuitive to I mean there's there's a line in there. Obviously as veterans we've got thick skin, but yeah. And, and yeah, there's definitely a line. Uh, my mom was probably my most strict critic. Like she she pulled no punches when she told me like, "Hey, this doesn't make sense because I read this here in page 2 and then this is happening in page 22 and it's not jiving because that what happened in between those two points." I'm like, "Oh shit, you're right." So then I got to go in there and add a couple of pages and take some pages out that she'd be like, Oh yeah, this page isn't working. It really doesn't add it to the story. I don't know why it's in there. And it's like, uh, cause I needed to fill up 22 pages to make a full comic book, mom. Well do better. I'm like, thanks mom. Okay. So she was like that with my homework growing up too. It's like, no, but the assignment said just do this. She's like, do better. Okay. I'll add some stuff. Okay. Uh, does she still read? Oh, never mind. Um, uh, I'm sure she's looking down from uh, the afterlife. Yeah, and that was an instinctual. I'm sorry, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, if she could get a message to me on some of my editing, she would definitely send it. <laughs> I can just see you now going to like one of those uh, palm reader tarot card ladies. She's like, I've, I've channeled your mom, and she said, "Do better." <laughs> yeah, do, does "do better" mean anything to you? Oh, she also told me to do this, and then slap me across the face. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> I okay, this well, is better than that. We're gonna we're gonna transition from talking about you to talking about Apogee. So okay. we're gonna we're gonna show this really cool graphic. <laughs> That's how you know he means business. He's got a logo that goes boom in the background. It goes you gotta have a logo that goes boom. That's right. All right, so Apogee Comics. So before we do that though, because you know the journey starts with the first step. How did you discover comics? Because you didn't just wake up one day and be like, you know, I'm going to make a publishing company for comics. You had to start, I'm assuming, as a reader. I did. I did start off as a reamer. A reamer. Oh, God. Reader. Now it's on me, JR. Now it's on me. As a reader, um, I got really sick when I was a kid. I got like a really bad case of the flu. Uh, it was during the wintertime. My dad was in construction. So, um, yeah, when it's raining in California, no works. No constructing is getting done. So, um, so I was sick. I was watching TV downstairs. He ran up to the local drugstore just up the street. I had to go pick up some stuff for me. And then he likes to go get his, uh, cream soda, his A&W cream soda. And that was like the only place within the vicinity that would sell an A&W cream soda. And then he'd bring me back, uh, like a Sprite, something like that. And he hit the spinner rack and he pulled out every comic book. That was in that spinner rack. And uh, like I was a casual comic book fan. I wasn't really collecting. I was barely reading it. I watched the cartoons. I watched the movies, things like that. Um, but the first, first one on the stack was uh, an issue of Daredevil. And I was like, okay. So I was just, it was on top. You're the first one I'm reading. Fell in love with it. I read it till I had to get a second issue. A second copy of it because I, I I read the damn pages out of it. So became a huge Daredevil fan after that, and that that just started the bug, man. I wanted to know more about comics, and then I was hanging around the comic book shops on the weekends and talking to other like older fans. I'm like, oh man, you're into this? Oh, well, you got to go check out these issues right here. Actually, you know, it's right here in these long boxes over here. These you know these older books. Um, so I just I had the bug every. Every dime I made 
I was in that comic book store um, spending my money. And then I also drew. I've been drawing since I, as long as I can remember, since I ever picked up a crayon. And then, so my drawings went from whatever the hell I was drawing at the time to superheroes. And I was doing what every kid does when he starts making up superheroes. You have the most generic superhero ever. I'm going to give this guy a rocket pack and a helmet. I'm going to call him Rocket Man. And then I'm going to make this guy Meta Man. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. I read in a comic book. You know? So I was doing all these drawings, all these superhero drawings, and I, I kept getting better. Um, and then when I got to high school, um, image became a big thing. Um, my favorite artist from Marvel decided just, hey, we're going to make a company. I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. Yeah, dude. Like, And they were successful. And I'm like, man, that is awesome. You've never seen that before. You know, just three dudes decide, like, they, they, they go to Marvel, tell them they quit. They go to literally across the street to DC Comics, tells them that they won't work for them, and enlisted the reasons why which were the same reasons they gave to Marvel when they left. And they're like, and they're all, th all those big publishers are like, you're going to fail. You know, you guys will be back to us in about a year, you know, and then we're going to pay you lower for leaving us. And Spawn is one of the longest running independent comic books. It's got a huge readership. Todd McFarlane has built that into a financial empire with his toys and, and comic books and merch. You know, those guys became the uh, the blueprint for, for indie comics. Um, so when I started getting that bug, and it wasn't just a kid going, oh, I want to be a comic book artist when I grow up. It became a serious obsession for me. Um, I drew, I'd get up early in the morning and I'd draw. And then I played sports and, well, up until my senior year in high school. So I would go to school and I'm thinking about comics. And I'm doodling my notebook and I'm creating stuff and I'm getting yelled at by teachers. Uh, hey, Nick, you might want to pay attention to this. And I'm like, I'm not going to need this. I'm going to be a comic artist. And, you know, she'd be like, okay, that's like being an actor. And I'm like, okay, bet. So, and then right after practice, I'd, I'd come home, do some time with the parental units, have dinner. And then I'd be upstairs at the drawing table drawing until I just couldn't keep my eyelids open anymore. So okay. that's, that's pretty much the story of how I picked up a copy of Daredevil when I was eight years old. And now I'm fanatically obsessed with the genre and the business side of it. So towards that, obviously you started doing your own comics. Did you try to get into the business by writing for like Marvel or, or DC or did you go straight indie? I never wanted to be a writer. That's something I had to learn to do as just a, uh, a necessity. Um, I had submitted my portfolio a couple of times to Marvel. Um, they said, you got promise kid, keep going. Um, but I also had another goal in my life that I want to do. And that kind of slowed things down. Um, I joined the army. I wanted to do cool guy shit and jump out of airplanes and blow stuff up. I wanted to have, I wanted to do the stuff that they make movies out of. So, you know, I did that for active duty for four and a half years. And then I knew I'd, would miss it. So I stayed in the guard for another 13, did some cool stuff there. Um, and thank God I did that because 
of the characters that I had created, they had no substance, no, no real substance to them. It's like nobody would care about these characters, about just some lone adventurer that goes from city to city and looks for crime and gets himself into adventures. No one's going to believe that. Doesn't make sense. Who does that? I had no sub substance for him. And that was Phantom Hawk. Um, and he didn't have a cape or any of that. He had like two giant desert eagles that were hooked up to like this quick draw arm apparatus and a backpack and he had a trench coat. He, he just, it, it was cheesy as hell. So. Cheesy um, has its place. Cheesy has its place, but it's it, like, I knew deep inside that that's not where I wanted this character to go. I, I had enough. I, if you ever created something that you're just like infatuated with, you're like, man, I can't believe I did that, you know, and I want to make this thing better and better and better and better. And he became my focal point um, for character creation. You know, if I can get this guy's look down, I can do other characters and achieve the same thing. So, I mean, I still have, I have like a huge box filled with old drawings, like, Probably like a hundred sketchbooks, maybe more back, you know, front to back on the pages, just with sketches and drawings and character creation. So, um, okay. Is there more of that? I, did I answer the question? I don't know if I did. Yeah, mostly. So <laughs> you, you started, obviously you went indie almost right away and you had to learn how to do your own writing for it. Um, right. did you start writing for other people's company or did you jump right in and just start your own? Just started my own. Um, when was that not too long after I got back from Kosovo, um, I was doing some, some drawings there, trying to keep my craft going, um, using government equipment to scan and email these things to me so I could put them into Photoshop and color them and make them look pretty. Um, I, I've never written for anybody else except for you. Um, yeah, I, I had to learn how to be a writer. So I bought a bunch of books, uh, like how to write comics, the Marvel way, how to write comics, the DC way. Um, and I was taking notes. Um, and how we got to that point was I was just turned 30. Yeah, I just turned 30 and, uh, all my life, because of my artwork, people are like, oh, you should draw a comic book. You should draw a comic book. And here I am in my 30s. And I'm like, I've never even attempted to do that. So, and I, and I told this story the last the last time, um, which was years ago. Um, I locked myself in my studio, office, whatever. And I was in there for about two days. I mean, obviously, I left to go to work and things like that, eat, sleep. But every minute of available time was in there writing stories and then once i got that done i started drawing them um we just transitioned from myspace to facebook so the groups hadn't shown up yet the fan groups the uh the, the professionals group groups you know if like you know writers getting together sharing notes artists getting together sharing notes things like that those things hadn't popped up yet and so i was like man i don't even know how to approach this how to do it um how to get it printed. I, I knew nothing of the business. And so I was already, I'd written two issues. I'd drawn one and a half issues. I finally finished up the second issue uh, in 2012. And uh, 
uh, one of my buddies is like, uh, so who's the publisher? I'm like, well, I'm the publisher. And I'm like, well, you should probably have a name. I'm like, shit, I didn't even think about that. I should probably have a name. So at the time, um, I came up with Blackjack Comics. That was that was going to be the publishing company. And I never intended for me to publish anybody's, anybody else's stuff. It was just going to be my stuff. Um, all about my lonesome. I didn't care how long it was going to take to get these stories out or get these books out. I was just going to do it. You know, then I go to my first con, I sell out of both books. I did like a print run of like 50 each and they sold out in that weekend. Most of it on the first day I, I had like scraps left. So the only thing I could offer on that second day at the convention was like, uh, commissions. <laughs> I didn't have posters. I didn't have prints. I didn't have trading cards. I didn't have any of the stuff that I have now. So, um, but just through Google research, I figured out, I found a place that would, that prints comic book size stuff and they're they were trying to make a name for themselves and they were in Sacramento, which is where I was living. So I could just drive over there after I emailed them the copy and when they're ready and pick them up. So, and then yeah, blackjack fell apart. Uh, always choose your business partners wisely. So, cause it wasn't too long after that first con, I moved to Texas and then it felt like I had to start all over again. Um, but my business partner that was out in California was not representing the company very well. And then when I asked them to leave, they refused to leave. So I was like, all right, fine. Well, I guess I'm starting a new company. And that's what okay. I did. Okay. Um, and that ended up with Apogee. How did you pick the name Apogee? Um, Apogee was um, uh a merger between two companies. The combo company I was trying to get off the ground at the time was called Gorilla Comics. And I had a, the logo was, uh, it was Shea Guevara, but as a skull and a beard. Okay. Um, I don't know why I did that. I, th I thought it was funny. So I was like, that's, that's going to be funny. People are going to enjoy that. And then I spelled comics with an X, but that was getting confusing. Like, is this like adult comics? I'm like, no, I didn't put two other X's there. It's just the one. Um, so I met up with some dudes in, uh, St. Louis at a convention and, uh, they had at the time, one of the, one of the owners, Dave Norton of that company, uh, had the same type of goal. I did. I wanted to create something like image. I wanted to have a company that owned nothing and it was just made up by separate studios, you know? So obviously the company would get its cut and it would put its brand over on everything that was on these books and you know just like image did so we it was like on the first meeting like well we need a name guys they're like well maybe something with an a i'm like oh you know we decided to get into like previews magazine you know for the listing that's where local comic book shops order their books is from previews or right. diamond diamond distributors um hey if we if we put our name if we're an a we're gonna be right at the top and I'm like, that's a good idea. All right, so we start coming up with names. Um, they were horrible. They were horrible. And then uh, uh, Jay Sloan um, goes, well, how about this? And he, Because we're all doing this through chat. And I'm like, a pogey? What the hell is a pogey? And I'm like, hey, we need to get a video call, man. So we get a quick video call in. I'm like, is, that a, is it pronounced a pogey? He's like, no, apogee. It's like the height of a satellite 
in its orbit. Like it's the highest peak of, of its orbit. I'm like, oh, man, that sounds really cool. So I went to work on creating the logo because that's the next thing we needed. So I'm like, well, half the company is from St. Louis. The other half of the company is in Texas. So I'm like trying to incorporate the, uh, the arch in St. Louis and the Texas star. And some of them, uh, well, obviously you can see the logo we came up with. That was the best one because it felt iconic. It felt image. It felt independent. You know, it felt, I don't know. It really popped because it was clean and it was simple. Like some of the other designs that I had were just way too intricate. And, you know, I just literally put the arch on top of a Texas star. And then I started remembering like some of the lessons I had in college and art school. I was like, okay, I need to try and simplify this, but I can also, it doesn't have to be the arch. It could just be the A. And then I can do this and I can do that, you know, because sometimes a lot of times less is more. And that's how we got to the Apogee A. Um, so it was just a couple guys just talking it out until we were able to come up with a name. And then from the name, the logo. Okay. All right. Speaking of names and logos, we're going to let your graciously sponsored the show today. And uh, we're going to play that beautiful commercial and then jump right back in. A pokey comics. People still call it that. It's pretty funny. Wait, they still mispronounce it that way? Yeah, it's it's not a name I'd ever heard of before until I had to look it up. So, okay. Well, I heard it from you, so yeah. But, uh, yep. You know, pokey too. So <laughs> I don't know if it's that type of pogue. So what uh, what kind of formal training did you have to do to, to improve your art? Uh, it's I was trying to be a graphic designer in college. That's the program I was in. It was an art degree with a focus in graphic art and design. And uh, <laughs> that was the first and only formal training I'd ever had. So, like, I did things and they made sense to me on how I did them. But now I had the formal training. I had the... Uh, I get the terminology and the meaning behind stuff. You know, uh, for me, it just made sense. There's a reason why I don't put the action on a center frame because it's boring, you know, because that just made sense to me. But come to find out, it's, you know, it's psychology, it's visual effects inside the brain. You know, it, people find it more interesting when the camera's tilted just a bit and then moved off from the center. And that, and that would create tension and it would create drama and action so i was the only formal training i ever had was in college so all they did was give me the names to the stuff i was already doing and it gave me a, a crap ton of practice of drawing um i took traditional illustration classes i took some painting classes you know aside from um the visual the the computer generated stuff that i was doing you know i was using you know analog techniques i learned how to do the stuff that i was doing in the computer traditionally you know uh using the color pet, create layers that would give, would change the color, you know, and getting them ready for actual print on a press. So 
I would say that's the only real formal training I had was in college. Uh, everything else was either through um, trying to replicate comic book pages that I saw, or there was an old book called How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. I think it came out in the 70s. I still have my first issue, my first edition. Um, and it's still together, thank God. But, uh, yeah, that's really the only formal training I ever had. Okay, so do you, um, you talked about you publish yourself, and that's where Apogee came from. And I know the answer to these, obviously, but you know, not everyone at home does. But do you publish other people, or are you still just a one-man shop? Uh, it's still, well, I wouldn't say a one-man shop. Uh, there's other people like Stabby here. She's the chief of operations uh, for, the co for the company. Um, I have writers and things like that. Um, I've tried to branch out and publish other people's stuff, and I have um, on a as a business venture, it didn't really work out well for the company. Um, that and they were, you, sometimes you get people that don't understand like contracts and rules. So it's like, yeah, uh, you're my publisher, and then they would go out and want to do like crossover events with another comic. I'm like, okay, well now we got to start thinking about business people. Like, who's going to pay for the books? Who's paying for the art? You know, because you it's this is an unauthorized crossover and it's not it's not like I'm trying to be in control because I thought it was a good idea. But like nobody wants to think about how it's going to get done. They're just like, oh, let's do this. And then, well, someone's got to pay for it. You know, logistics will get you every time. Yeah. So you got to have logistics. You got you got to be able to fund the dang thing um, because just because we're a company and. You know, we're a company that's good in good standing. Um, they, I don't know, artists seem to think that you're just sitting on a power of money like Scrooge McDuck. You know, they're like, oh, well, I only need like six grand. I'm like, well, the bank account's at three dollars. So, because we need our next Kickstarter or whatever, or we need a con, not a con, but you know, go to a convention and sell comic books so we can, you know, replenish some of that, some of that money in the bank account. So, it's not all about drawing pretty pictures. You got to think about it from a business aspect too. So I, until I can figure out the proper wording in the contract, I'm not going to publish anybody else's stuff. Okay. Until I can get that hammered out. So it's yeah. just you and I think Renee, we've interviewed him with the, was it some, was it, was it Solarian prime that he was on? No, Bengali. Bengali. Yeah. He's, you know, so, it's just you and him then, or there, is there anybody else involved in the company? Uh, there's Rich Parada. Uh, he's an artist. He works on Bengali. Uh, he's out in England, uh, originally from Staten Island. Uh, he used to work. He, he started out as an anchor uh, for Marvel, and then he did stuff for uh, DC Comics and Image Comics as well. So uh, as an anchor, he's well known in the game, and now he's, he's build, building his pedigree as a, as a penciler. You know. Okay, so what are the different... What does all that mean? What are the different parts of a comic? Well, there's like four stages, you know, in, in creating a book, at least the art stuff. So you have a penciler and he's the one that's going to, he's the main guy. He draws every panel, every page, you know, to the best of his ability. And then once those pages are done, it gets sent to an inker. And a lot of people call them tracers. They're not tracers. Uh, even though they do go over the original artwork, um, but they do embellish and add things to it, um, depth and shade and things like that. So and after that's done, it, it'll go to the color artist, the colorist. Now, these are guys that have just a 
a brilliant mind in as far as dealing with colors and color palettes. So and they read the script, you know, with their page called It's All at Night. Well, then they master, masterfully it at night using color. And they'll also be the ones that are kind of putting like the special effects and not the, the kapows and the bangs and stuff like that. That goes to the letterist. But uh, as far as tone, tone of that page, um, that, that's what they add. And then it, it'll go to the letter, the letter artist or letterer as well. And they're the ones that put in the captions, the thought balloons, the, the pows, the whizzes, the bangs. Um, you know, even though it's a visual medium, they still have to kind of fit in those, those parameters of making it interesting and stylistic. So it's not just putting stuff where it needs to go. Like they have to consider like, well, if I put this word balloon here, it's going to cover up a lot of art and I don't want to do that. So they have a hard task as well. There, there's not one easy task in, put in all those four jobs, you know. And then after that's done, it gets reviewed by an editorial staff. And once they sign off on that, then it goes to press. It goes to the printers to get made into a comic book. Okay. So speaking of comic books, like you obviously you started off as an artist and you still do the artist outside of the publishing. Do you mm -hmm. still draw it by hand the old-fashioned way? Are you now going high tech? Are you doing hollow I do both. I do both. Um, there's a lot of speed in doing it digitally because um, there's just so many tools in these programs. You know, um, like if I have to create a cityscape in depth, you know, using perspective, there's tools in there that allow me to do that much quicker than sitting at my drawing table, creating a grid by hand, sketching out the vanishing point and, and doing all that. So if I do it digitally, excuse me, there's a lot of tools inside the program that allow me to do that a lot quicker where I don't have to worry about using a rule to draw a straight line on these things. You know, the, the system, the computer system will let me just, okay, what angle do you want this to draw? And then I just move the stylus across the, uh, the screen and, and it makes it happen. If I make a mistake, I just option Z it or control Z for you, uh, for your PC people. Okay. So how many times a day does Madam Stabby Stab threaten to uh, cut you to get you motivated to get those pages done? Uh, she, she really doesn't have to threaten me with violence. It's like getting me away from the tables with usually requires threatening with violence. So she's very encouraging. She's very supportive. And, and what I do, because we'll, we'll talk about, you know, things that I need to get done during the week. And she's really good at, like, if I try and, if it slips to my mind, I decide to sit on the couch as soon as I get home and, and have a beverage and, and try and relax. She's like, I uh, just want to let you know that uh, you got stuff to draw. And I'm like, you know what, you're absolutely right. Give me 10 minutes and I'll get in there. So, and then a lot of times she'll come in here and sit with me and we'll just BS and whatnot. And, while I'm working on stuff and they'll have her come take a look at what I'm working on and make sure it looks in, it makes sense to her and that nothing looks funky. So yeah, not a whole lot of threat and violence getting into the studio. It's coming out of it. Okay. So, so Stabby, do you do a lot of inner uh, interactions with the customers then as the, or do you just literally do the logistics in the back? So I mainly just do the logistics in the back unless we're at a con. Um, if we're at a Comic-Con, 
I get to leave the table. They have to sit at the table. They have to talk to the customers. They have to talk about the comics. They And they get to do all of that stuff. Whereas I get to go and wander around and make connections with other comic book companies with, um, you know, managers and, and um, other publishers, different comic book stores. So I get to do uh, that side of things, which I find, um, I find it actually very fun. So really at the end of the day, like I don't talk to a lot of the customers, but if you get a package from Apogee Comics, just know that I'm the one that packed it up. I'm the one that put it in its new Gemini box. I made sure you, that you got your sticker, that you got your trading card, that everything is nice and sealed and protected from uh, USPS and that um, that uh, Nick, you're muted, so you're gonna, if you don't, if you don't mute, you're gonna Bounce back and forth. There we go. Um, Sorry. Of course I have it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when you get your, your package, that was me. I made sure that everything was sealed, protected. We all know how the post office can be with packages sometimes. So I make sure it says fragile on it, says do not bend. Like, I'm. that's me. I'm making sure that your comics are arriving to you exactly how they should be. And um, if you're at, ever at a Comic-Con with us, you have to catch me in between runs because normally I am at our booth and then I'm at somebody else's booth and then I'm at somebody else's booth. So you need to catch me when I just happen to be at our booth if you want to meet Stabby because she's always on the run making connections and finding people. Okay. All right. So uh, when you come to your comics, Nick, so we've talked a little bit about like the business side of things. But could you give us an overview of the type of comics stories that you tell and publish and, uh, and some of maybe your, your big characters? Uh, yeah, uh, we dab into a lot of things. Well, eventually, we're going to try and get like a fantasy book going. But right now, it's the capes and cowls and superheroes, you know. Um, our heavy hitters right now are the Phantom Hawk, uh, Crimson Guardians, which we just did an announcement not too long ago that um, – that has been discontinued. So if you have an issue of that, consider a one shot. Um, and then we have, we got some space opera stuff going on with uh, Solarum Prime. So we, we leave Earth. We come back every once in a while, but we leave Earth as uh, that hero's journey progresses. And then we have Bengali, which kind of deals with the, uh, the dark and mystical and occult and Cthulhu old god type stuff or old ones type stuff. Um, and then not too long after this episode airs, we should have uh, Quickwire, which is our speedsters, you know, um, and if you don't know what a speedster is, think of the Flash or Quicksilver. Um, this guy's name is Quickwire, uh, and he's going to operate in the Dallas area, and he's going to be an older teenager, like freshman, college freshman age. So there's a lot of humor in that. Uh, which is something that you tend to expect from from a speedster, but this guy's just a naturally funny dude, and it uses the vernacular of the the current American teenager, so to speak. You know, like for real, for real, or that issue was bussing on God. That was almost hands, my guy. You know, stuff like that. Bruh. 
So the types of stories that we tell, um, first of all, they got to be interesting. I mean, I guess that kind of goes without saying. We're not trying to preach to you or anything like that. Um, we're not trying to cram stuff into your down your throat and be preachy about it because a lot of comics are like that. Well, mainstream comics are a lot like that today. It's there's we, a lot of subtext, a lot of allegory, you know. So there are things that are going on in the world today that we kind of touch on, but it's not. It's a it's a point in the plot. It's not the plot. So. Um, and we pride ourselves on, um, um, providing action-based entertainment. Uh, the pages should be as visually stunning as the, uh, the story is. So that's one of the things we pride ourselves on is making sure that, that the artwork is quality. That that's overall a quality book. It's quality. It, there's quality in the writing. There's quality in the, uh, in the artwork and, um, and to make it all tie together so because it is a shared universe with all these characters they all have some six degrees of you know kevin bacon or what i call six degrees of phantom hawk going on um because he was the first one so he i like to use him as like the everyman view even though he's not typically an everyman you know but he's the you know, when he started out, he was fighting mob bosses and drug dealers and stuff and trying to reclaim his humanity. Now he is trading blows with demons or he's fighting with a man that can leave the planet without a ship, you know, and then it's going to get even more interesting when aliens start showing up. And it's like, OK, so uh, I fought alongside a talking panda bear that works for the government. Uh which I thought was weird enough. Then I fought demons next to a bird guy that looks like a cardinal. And then I was helping. I fought a demon and then I helped a demon. And, you know, so he's just, he's still trying to like compartmentalize the stuff he's seen over the, over the course of his time as a, as a vigilante or, or, or superhero. And then we got this lovely cover here too. So, um it's a sample yeah, of work i thought it'd be kind of cool because you you know to show your art style this one was entirely done digitally and forgive me it's not the full size jpeg yeah it's grabbed it quickly off amazon but just some of what you can do like with and that the, was fun yeah it was really fun to do um and I, I do stuff like this does make me try to step outside my traditional you know my my style my known style um and work with some other things. I know I talk a lot of shit about AI, but um, I used some uh, AI backgrounds for that particular piece. Um, I drew over them because it, every time I was trying to draw it, it just my brain was not, my hand wasn't doing the, the printer stuff like, like my brain told it to. So I was like, okay, what if I use the right prompts, get this background, and then I will do my own thing to it so it's actually mine as opposed to me just using a picture and throwing it in there. Yeah. Bad stuff, take stuff, you know, that that's like the only thing that I'll say about AI art is that it can be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful tool if used um, ethically. Um, I think where a lot of people get wrapped around the, the axle is that they'll just 
put in the prompts and then just post it as if they had drawn it themselves, not knowing that AI searches everywhere and steals pieces from here, 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 and there. Like so many pieces where it looks like it's original art, but it's not, you know. Yeah, and um, like we said, we, we actually, so this is season four. We talked about this at the end of season three episode, but one of the issues we're going to tackle this season is the, the AI conversation has come up a lot. People for it, people against it, lots of strong opinions. So Nick and I are going to get some guests that are pro AI in both the visual and writing uh, mediums, and then those that are against it. But we were afraid that if we put them on the podcast together, they'd be talking at or over each other instead of just getting their ideas out. So Stabby got the brilliant idea. We would split them into two different episodes. Um, as, a, as an artist himself, and Nick definitely has some strong opinions about you know AI imagery. Um, I, I got a, I guess I'm a little bit lucky. The AI writing side is not very good right now. You can definitely tell the difference. It has no soul in it when you read it. Yeah. Uh, so it's not going to put me out of a job anytime soon, but it's a little bit different, I think, for visual artists. So it's definitely going to be an interesting conversation that is in the works. Yeah. We're working on getting together our guest list for that. Uh, because it's such a hot button issue, a lot of people are don't want to go on the record one way or another. And I respect, you know, why you would want to stay neutral on. Yeah, because there's people with pitchforks out there on both sides of the aisle, man. I'm like, I, right, but it, I think I think it'll be an interesting article uh, conversation, but I definitely think it hits yeah, your medium yeah. a lot harder than it's hitting mine right now. There is some some work in the um, some programs in the works that will if they try to skim um images through the search algorithms and they come across your image if you do it right you can upload something into your image that will destroy and corrupt their files so they're yeah virus that's essentially yeah. a virus i mean they don't call it that because virus is such a negative connotation but but basically so yeah. i definitely think it'll be interesting but uh but back to apogee so you've talked about the superheroes that you published i know you've talked about branching out into other things so can you tell us about some of the other um other things you're looking at publishing the, the other branches <laughs> the yeah. branches that you're branching out they're branches because they branch from us I'm, <laughs> I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a speech from a political uh, figure um, I'm like 40 minutes past the coffee cup being empty right don't hate me yeah don't hate me uh we would like to start doing novelizations of our characters i think that adds something to it because um a writer can add more detail to it and he's not confined to the visual medium he can use his prose, his ideas, his descriptions. He can, he can, I'd like to say he could flesh out the world more. And I think that would um, coincide well with the visual, which is the comic book, you know, and then you have someone writing a novel could do like this epic, you know, type story, which I'm not saying we don't do that in comic books, but it takes a while to get there because we're using it, um, very little information and making it a visual medium. You know, we got to tell the story by pictures, you know, so like a comic book. I mean, there's not a whole lot of writing going on there. There's a description that's, you know, from the writer of what he kind of hopes to see his vision of how that, um, how that sequence is going to work out, you know, and the artist is doing the best he can, where if he's writing a novelization, he can put in all those full details, you know the squint of the hero's eyes, the sweat coming off his brow to, you know, his heart rate, you can feel his heart rate increasing, things like that. If I tried to put all that information in comic book, it'd be a hot mess. You know? Yeah. I, I like, 
the effects of his heart going while I'm trying to focus on his eyeball. And, you know, it's just two different types of writing, you know, Um, a comic book is written almost like a screenplay for a movie, you know, it's like, here's enough information. And then it's up to the director to, to do the best he can. Um, So I'd like to do that. I'd like to get into doing some fantasy type books. Um, I, I was excited. I was going to do a Western a couple years ago, but the creative team backed out. Um, and it, it would have been hilarious because the title alone is what wanted me to produce that comic book for these guys. Have it, get it going. It was called the, the ballad of dusty tortillas. I heard that yeah. one on a podcast. Somebody else talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. They went on, they went on a couple of podcasts when they were, when we were pre promoting, hyping it up in the business, as they say, when we were hyping it up. Um, I was only like four pages in. You know, and then they uh, they decided to to do it on their own, and they wanted a different artist, and they wanted this, and they wanted that. They wanted these things that I was like, okay, you know, they're still friends of mine. I was like, hey, if that's if you feel that's the best way for your property to go, then you know, I'm not going to hate you for it, and there's no hard feelings. You know, I'm just saying I'm a little disappointed because I really wanted to draw that damn book. Yeah, you know, so. Um, I would like to do some classic 50s sci-fi type stuff. You know, Buck Rogers is going public domain in 2025. <laughs> you could go yep. Buck Rogers. I, I actually have, uh, you know, you can make those uh, web-based counters of when that happens. Yeah. It's like I got one saved. <laughs> so I could do Buck Rogers. I think that'd be fun. I would like to do some public domain, other public domain stuff. Because there's a lot of cool characters where if you gave them a, a little bit of a revision of their costume... Um, I think they do very well. Uh, Black Terror is one that's been doing really well recently. He was public domain in like the 30s or 40s. Um, I think it was the 30s, like 32, like that, the age of the comic book, you know. Right. Yeah, it was really cool stuff. So there's a lot of stuff I'd like to branch out into, you know, but just like anything else in the creative medium, it's time and money. So obviously you can do Kickstarters and go fund my comics and all the, whatever the, you know, Patreon-esque versions out there for crowdfunding are. Um, yes. But all in, for those that don't know, what does the average comic cost you to produce? Oh, um, well. I know how I high it's up, but. I, I had the numbers written down, like specifically what it's going to cost. And it all determines on what the rates are of your creative team, because they're all going to charge you different stuff. So. Let's, let's just work the math real quick if we got time. Um, so actually, let's not even do that. It's going to take too much time. <laughs> Let me surmise. <laughs> There's not enough time. Let me speed up. Um, I'd say the average comic book on the indie scene is probably going to run you somewhere around five grand. Okay. So that's your, your pencils. Those are going to be the most expensive part. If you get an artist that does pencils and inks and gives you a discount, of course, that helps. The colors is going to run you between $30 and $50 a page. The letter is going to run you. If he's a good letter, he's going to run you about 25 bucks a page. Um, then you got the, uh, the printing of the comic book, which is going to run you, depending on standard 22-page floppy, takes about $2.68. Per copy, of course, the more copies you order, the lower the price goes, and you have to start ordering stuff in like the hundreds uh, before you start getting a um, price reduction. So I would just say, on average, it's going to run you about five grand, anywhere between five and ten grand, depending what 
with the rates are on your art team, your creative team. I mean, the writer alone is going to be anywhere between fifteen and fifty dollars a page, and they're and if it's a twenty-two page floppy, that's guaranteed, you know, fifty fifty dollars for twenty-two pages. Okay, so cost is a barrier to entry. Um, do you foresee at any point in time maybe going grayscale like the black and whites? Um, does that have a room? I know manga does it. I see, graphic novels. Yeah, I mean you can, but I think it, if you're going to do grayscale, other than a money saving technique, I think it has to be an artistic thing. Okay. Um, it has to feed into the story. It has to be a part of the story. I mean, even doing grayscale, and we're not talking strict black and white because you have to do grayscale. Um, and even some printers will, uh, they'll charge you a full color price. So it's really like, do I do that? Now I've done stuff in the past. I called it my sketch cover edition. So the interior sequential pages were just the original line art, the black and white stuff. And then I would leave the, I put the masthead and the logos and all that stuff on, uh, on the cover but it was a cover is a type of paper that you can actually draw on and we call them sketch covers. So uh, what I like to, what I usually do with cons is that I will produce like 25 of those because that's the minimum order I can do. Um, but I'll put the logo with a con on there and call it, you know, like uh, South Texas comic con. Uh, I'm a big ally of them. I've been, since they their first show, I've I've been a part of that, and I'm friends with the promoter, and we we got a great relationship. So I put I asked them like, hey, is it cool if I make like a, a South Texas Comic Con edition comic book? And I put your logo on there, you know, and then um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll mark up the price a little bit because um, if you just want the blank, which is nobody draws on it, then that's one price. But if you want me to draw on it, well, then I got to charge you a small commission. You know, and it, it was a hit when I did that for like four years. Um, so there, there are cheaper avenues and there's a way you can market it where you actually make more money with, with those, like the sketch covers, than with just your, your floppies that are already printed. Okay. So do you foresee branching out? I know we've talked about it in other episodes in season three that you're planning something with um, King Arthur. So what's going on with that? Uh, that'll actually be a superhero tale. tale. Um, it's based on the, uh, the Arthur, the Arthur legend. Um, the name of the book is called the last pen dragon. And uh, in this universe, not to hopefully get, hopefully I don't give too much away. Um, the pen dragons were, had alien DNA in their bodies and it reacted to certain metals. Um, so like he had a helmet that a helm, he had a sword, like when he gets a hold of Excalibur, that's made out of alien metal, not on our periodic table. And it, the powers like anybody can wield it kind of, but it's going to be really, really heavy. So because, um, the main character, has that uh that alien dna that everyone's going to be like oh it's magic you know if it's, you know he's the only one that can really lift this thing and that's kind of his deal in the in the book is that like if he needs to put his sword up he just like puts it into a rock you know he like just keeps recreating the arthurian legend and when he does that and he comes back there's always like a crowd of people trying to pull the damn sword out so 
it's a little inner joke there. Uh, so I'm working with uh, a friend of the show, uh, Jana, 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 um, and her. I don't know if her alter ego is going to get involved and write, but so um, do I need to say Jana a few times too, so I can join the Cool Kids Club? Jana, Jana, yes. Jana, 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 Jana. I love you. Do we have to be like in a bathroom in front of the mirror and like spin in circles too? Is that how this works? Yeah, I mean, but like only goodness happens when you do that. It's not like uh It's too late in the show to try to summon her. Stop it. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been a great gimmick though? If she'd been sitting backstage the whole time and we said that and she just, <laughs> then we just added the show. She's like, I've been summoned. Oh. I, I should edit this out, but you know I'm I'm not going to because we don't do that here. But uh, it'd be pretty cool mm -hmm. if we edited that out and then we like yeah, I, wish was, I wish we could have brought her in. Um and then um oh my god, I forgot her name. I am so bad. But um there's another friend of the show that uh Terry? Terry, yeah. Uh we're gonna talk about putting a comic book together uh after the well, now that it's after the holidays, we can probably get something on the books where we can talk about that because I, I know she really was interested in uh, trying a new writing form. So, but with Pet Dragon, uh, it leads to another character called the Regent. Um, I will not give that spoiler away. I will not give that surprise away because uh, the title of the book says it all. It's the last Pen Dragon, and the way we have it set up, it's. Um, through years of lineage since the King Arthur legend, there's, there was Pendragons everywhere back in the day, you know? So like there was a, um, from India, there was an Indian Pendragon who shared that same bloodline as Arthur. And, uh, you know, and then you get a villain and he's, he wants to wipe them out. And he, he was searching, he's scouring the earth, finding these Pendragons and, and putting them to task. You know, uh, Avalon's going to play a big part in it too. Um, there's a lot of things going on there. I'm super stoked about. I did put out a book years ago under Blackjack um, called The Last Pen Dragon. Uh, some of those villains, some of those uh, plot points will kind of be retained inside the, the next series, but I'm super stoked about it. It's uh, He's my British Superman and Superwoman. Supergirl, maybe. Just if you like Dabby, you are gonna like the last pen dragon. Spoiler alert, uh Regent is uh modeled or yeah, modeled after Stabby here. So wanna see Stabby doing stabby things. Is there well blood? not really stabby stuff because you're gonna have a mace, a mystical mace. Which is like eighteen times stabby. It's a ball with it's a ball with sharp pointy things it's a ball for multiple it. stabbings. So yeah, that's that's what we got going on with that. Um, it's uh, gonna be fun. It, it's gonna be fun. I'm I'm really excited about that project, and hopefully we can get it out in 2024, if not early 2025. Okay, that sounds interesting. All right, is there anything else about Apogee that you you think the readers need to know, other than you know go buy the comics? Well, always buy the comics. Make our, our little slogan is "Make your next comic book apogee." Uh, we are a veteran-owned and operated business. Um, we do make donations to the veteran community. Uh, when we get asked to do panels at comic conventions, uh, apogee will. Uh, we're, we're really big on PT PTSD awareness, and uh, 
you know, using holistic, non-psychosomatic pharmacology to, to deal with it. Uh, I've, I've had friends that done that stuff and it went horribly wrong and ruined lives, multiple lives. So it's not something that I, I like. Um, I want to find, I've been doing research on alternatives and uh, turns out the arts doing something creative and artistic will combat that either as a, uh, uh, a response with that has catharsis and, and kind of like lowering the symptoms that are diminishing the symptoms because something happens inside your brain chemically when you're doing something with your hands and you're creating something. So um, that's been proven. My, my own psychologist had said that was a great idea. I don't know why most people don't do that. I'm like, it's because you guys don't advocate for that. You guys advocate for narcotics. So uh, there's there's not a whole lot of money in creating stuff, but there is money in drugs. So I, I can see why that uh, why they don't want to push that. But every every time I do a panel, I'll, I'll do a, an art demo. And uh, when I first started doing it in Southern Texas or South Texas, uh, I got like one or two veterans. And then by the fourth time I did it, I I filled up a, a panel room, which usually has about somewhere around 100 seats. You know, it's probably the most important I've ever felt in my life. So the uh, National Endowment for the Arts has a creative forces, uh, veterans um, focused, well, first responders too. Um, yes. But uh, for um, getting people into musical arts, I know when I was at the VA, um, they did a um, writing as therapy class. So, I mean, it's definitely proven they do it in small, but this one wasn't funded by the VA. They hosted it, but it was a volunteer English lit professor. Um, that that's in the class. So, I mean, I'm trying to get involved with the VA and doing that at least locally. Um, Cause I know it always starts out small and I can't write music. I'm, I'm barely can be considered a writer, um, but I know art and I know it as, well enough to, to talk about it as it's therapeutic. So well, we have all of it in the house. Oh yeah. I could, if I got invited by a con tonight, I could be there tomorrow with full kit. Well, no, not just that. Like, you oh, we practice it in the house is what you're saying. We, yeah. We practice all of it in the house. So like, um, I paint and I sing, the kid plays eight different instruments pretty well on most of them a couple of them are questionable some of them sound like someone's killing a cat <laughs> you know trombones are weird but then you have you you do pencils you do inks you do color you do digital like we have all the aspects in the house yeah we we have ways to release anxiety and stress and, stress. and um, I'm pretty pretty comfortable in identifying my triggers, things that are going to set off a PTSD response. So when that happens, uh, she see me do it. I'll, I'll just get up and walk in the office and start doodling, which I think I might draw. No, it's the other way. So see my drawing table pieces of it right here. Um, so if I want to do like analog or traditional stuff, I, do I think mine will turn better. So, I got stuff on there now because I've been doing mostly digital and the table is becoming a catch all for nonsense. So the table. Yeah, there's the table. 
and body armor next to it for some reason. <laughs> Art's dangerous, man. Sometimes you need body armor. That was from the. Oh, that, that was from the, from the GI Joe. GI Joe, Joe episode. Yeah. Episode. That's how lazy I am. I haven't <laughs> taken and put it in the garage where it belongs. No, uh, I'm putting it up in here. Oh, is it? It's gonna hang. Uh, emergency gonna body hang armor. Up there. Okay. You gotta have a uh, you know emergency because you never know when you're gonna need body armor. Nobody expects the Spanish acquisition, man. <laughs> well, we'll tell everybody out there in podcast land, if you need somebody to talk to, we are here. Yeah. We will take your phone call. Whether it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 o'clock in the morning, we will take a phone call. Um, Better not be 2 a.m. though, man. I put, <laughs> I put on do not disturb because I'm a human being after I want to go to sleep. Uh, you're going to have to solve it. Till then. No, but uh, I'm just joking, of course, but I don't put my phone number out there, but uh, if you, you can reach out to me on social media and like a direct message or instant message or whatever. Both of us suffer from different forms of PTSD. So we both understand. Um, Mine's mostly from getting blown up and people trying to kill me, but. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. we triggered each other. Like we accidentally. We don't need to go into that. But, um, we too personal. Let me finish. We learned quickly that sometimes you just need somebody to listen. So, if if anybody out there in podcast land, if you just need somebody to to listen, we're very good listeners. And if you put in the promo code um, podcast grunts, you get an extra hour of your therapy session. <laughs> no, it's you just need a friend. Yeah, that that's the big thing about Apchi. That's why we try and include as many uh veteran type characters or active duty personnel um in there. It's why we're so active in the vet community, uh, especially when it's art related stuff in the vet community. Um I love hearing stories from these veterans, you know, and usually I they're very thankful that someone was just wanted to listen to them was interested in what they had to say, because there's a lot of people out there in the vet, you know, a lot of veterans that just have no one to turn to, nobody to talk to, especially during silly season. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. We're, we're very pro veteran. Uh, we love our military. We, we love our veterans. We love all the sacrifices that, that they've all made. And, and we're, we're here for them, you know, as, as well as the consumer. So like you don't have to buy my stuff to to get my attention and have to talk or anything like that. So yeah, that's all I gotta say about that. Yeah. Oh, also things that are happening. Uh twenty twenty four, we're gonna be at WonderCon in Anaheim. We're gonna be at the uh Sacramento Comic Convention. And we have one in March in Las Vegas. I believe it's Silver City. As soon as Yep. They're having some problems with the website, me being able to buy a table, but this will happen. Um, and then okay. whatever comic conventions, probably going to be mostly based in the West Coast. I just don't have the time to take off to to jet set to like Florida unless they're paying me. And, you know, and some of these other great cons that are out there. Doesn't mean I'm not trying to get in, though, because if I can make it happen, I'll make it happen. But the WonderCon... Sac Sacramento Comic Con or SacCon and uh, Silver City Con or Silver City Expo because it's an overall sci-fi convention um, with comic books and and sci-fi and fantasy and stuff. It's it's a it's a dark convention. 
you know, convention. It's a nerd convention. It's, it's my people. I'm going to run to my people there. So those are guaranteed. Those are paid for. That's happening. Um, and then look for updates on the website and the social media for the for shows that we add. And if you run into Stabby, she is an awkward turtle. That's another thing. Um, when we do conventions, so you can find her, we post on our social media as the outfit of the day. The outfit of the day. Last last year's fanboy, I was a uh, 1950s female Captain America. Yeah, you had a 50s pinup pinup dress. Pinup dress with 50s pinup dress with the with the shield on it and. We did the hashtag Stabby's Outfit of the Day, and it actually caught on. <laughs> but I'm no. also awkward. So. Speaking of Outfit of the Day, did you see someone who used Legos and glue, and they made their own Mando armor? Yes. I loved it. I did not see that. Was that today? No, it was yesterday. I sent it to her. It's yesterday. I'll, t- I'll show you. When we get I have to go back. I, you, between the two of you, I have like 100 reels I have to go through <laughs> after work. I'm like, no, and then and then you want to talk to me while I'm trying. I'm like, honey, I'm looking through the reels. You're asking me about stuff I haven't got to yet. You, I need like 35, I'm like 35 reels till I hit that. To be fair, you send me stuff too. <laughs> Not like that. You two, you two, you two tricksters. Okay, first you scallywags. You married first, your best friend. I did, but you got to give me time to look through all the reels, man. So I cheat, and other people send me stuff, and then I just forward everything they send me to YouTube. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, I do the same. Well, I can't do it to no, because when Stabby sends it, she sends it to both of us. So I gotta wait for one of my other friends that also don't have any consideration for my time. <laughs> when they send me stuff that I'm like, you know who would like that? Stabby and Jr. I literally sent you guys a reel the other day that said, "When you only send reels to the." three people yeah like you only send reels to these top three people and i looked into my sends and sure enough it's nick jr and nick's sister kate yeah <laughs> we kate's, are, kate's a lot like me she's like what, what the hell is all this when am i gonna have time to look at all this no she does it to me too i hope she so turn about spare play yo Speaking of uh, turning this around, um, so obviously reviews matter. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right product. So speaking of reviews, how might they review your uh, your comics, assuming they don't buy them on the Kickstarter or whatever? Okay, if you are a, uh, say you're a review website, and of course I'm going to vet you, not just someone's trying to get free books. Um, you can email me at uh, apogeeindies at gmail.com. Uh, with a uh, just putting the subject line re- uh, review request of media, and if there's a particular book you want to see, um, I'll, I will email you a digital copy of that for for review purposes. And just like Mission Impossible, it will be set to self destruct after a certain amount of time. Does the computer go boom too? Not mine. Somebody's is. Oh, okay, okay. So assuming that they're not a review website, they're just a customer that wants to like rave about what they love. Can they review things on your website? Um, uh, on the social medias, 
would probably be best probably the uh, the Facebook page. Um, that's the best place if you want to leave a review for a comic you've already read. Um, that's of ours. Um, and then, of course, if you want to buy books, you can go to our website, which is going to be in the show notes, um, apogeecomics.com. Uh, yeah. So you, you can also review, at least if for books, like you can go to like, aside from Amazon, you can review on Goodreads or BookBub. Are there sites like that where you can review comics? Uh, no, I've seen a lot of comics on Goodreads. Okay. Debbie's going to have to do research. Um, but if there's other ones out there um, before this this launches, we can add in the show notes. Um, I got my own personal FBI agent over here who's good at research. So we will so. be doing an episode for Indie Comics Day, and that will be one of the things we address in that episode. And Indie Comics is in August. So if yeah, first, week August, in, first Friday in August. If nothing like free comic book, Yeah, Free Comic Book Day is in May. It's the first Friday in May. Uh uh, Indie Comics Appreciation Day is the first week, uh, first Friday in, in August. Which is the day after your birthday. Oh, nice. So, Danielle's birthday, a friend of mine. August 2nd? It's on August 2nd? It's, that is the first Friday in August. Is August 2nd? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. All right, so... Which means next year it'll be my birthday. So we've gotten how you can review the comics. So uh, before we say anything else, we get to have you. Um, was there anything about Apogee we didn't talk about? I don't think so, man. I think we covered it all. Soup, soup to nuts. Okay. All right. So uh, and how can listeners find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs? As usual, links will be in the show notes. It's pretty easy since this is the Apogee episode. Um, I'm going to give you the Apogee links first. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram at Apogee Comics. Um, you can go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash Apogee Comics. Uh, what else? What else do I got? Oh, inst- no, I've already told Instagram. YouTube. Oh, YouTube. Um, you can look up uh, Nick Garber Art on YouTube for my personal stuff, which is usually going to the same stuff you're going to find in Apogee, which is Apogee Comics. Yes. I'm not, I don't know how, I know it's associated with the Gmail. I don't know if I should give the full Gmail account name or whatever, but if you type in FG comics on YouTube, you'll find it. Um, definitely like, and subscribe. Um, comics.com. That's the website. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I said it earlier, but yeah, you can find our website at apogeecomics.com. Um, for me, you want to find my own personal stuff. Cause I draw more than just Apogee stuff. I do commissions for, for people and, Sometimes I just feel like drawing Wolverine clawing through some trees. Um, you can find me on the YouTube, Nick Garber Art, uh, at Nick Garber Art on Twitter, at Nick Garber Art on um, Instagram. And then if you want to go to my art page and tell me that I suck or that I'm awesome, um, I'm also on Facebook with uh, facebook.com backslash Nick Garber Art. And I think that's it. That's it? Yeah, it should be it. Jeez. Nailed it. My lord, I got a lot of stuff. Nailed it! All right. All right, you can find us, dear listener, on our link tree at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast where we link to all the things, the bitch shoots, the rumbles, the YouTubes, the Twitters. We've got our business email for professional business inquiries only. We've got the Blasters and Blades Facebook group and Facebook page. We've got Madam Stabby Stabs Instagram, Twitter, and email where all the shenanigans, hate mail, and all kinds of inappropriate material can be sent. 
and inappropriate is relative people. This is a family-friendly podcast. Uh, you can find us on our website at anchor.fm slash blasters blades Again, anchor.fm slash blasters dash and dash blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on, or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast, and I promise I will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated. They will drink until it pours out of their orifices that is my word of the day orifices orify orify anyway uh speaking of coffee and java and all things good stabby stab what can you tell us about post-holiday caffeination going on for you so right now i have a i have two coffees from um coffee brand coffee that I am enjoying. I am enjoying the roaster's choice. The thing about the roaster's choice, you don't get to choose the flavor. You pick that one and the roasters choose it. They send you a bag of beans and you just get coffee. I think mine is um, Arabian right now. Arabian? Arabic? I don't know. Probably Arabian coffee. I think it's Arabian. I dyslexic, and the bag has an A at the beginning, so it could be Argentina. Who knows? Words don't make sense. Words are hard. Words are hard. <laughs> Words are hard. But I like the roaster's choice because it's something that I probably wouldn't have just picked off of a website for myself. But they shipped it to me. It tastes delicious. It smells delicious. I can smell it from the bedroom when Nick pre-sets it up for me to turn on while I'm still asleep. I smell it. And I'm like, I look like a cartoon floating out of bed to the smell of coffee. It's amazing. It, it, it's It's got a very robust smell to it. It's It smells so good. It's a strong coffee. It smells so good. Strong like bull. Yeah, check, your, check with your physician before you drink it. You will hear colors and see sounds by the time she's done with you. Isn't that how it's supposed to go? I think so. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? Right? That, that's my theory on the subject. Coffee is supposed to be fun. It's supposed All to right. wake up and push on an adventure. Speaking of fun, this has been a blast. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my crazy caffeinated co-host, I am J.R. Anley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Boom. All right. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Stabby. Sorry, Renee couldn't make it. He had to do, like, family things and, you know, pretend he likes the holidays. You know, it's the holidays. Eh. He's not hardcore like us. We should have told him he could bring his wife on the podcast. Then it would have worked out fine. Oh, yeah. She would have loved that. Z is so much fun, too. I yeah, love his wife. She is so fun. She does the cons with us. Nice. And so speaking of uh, having fun, join us in the conversations wherever you find this podcast. Leave a comment. Leave a like. Share with your friends. Share with your neighbors. Share with people you like. Share with people you hate. But get the word out so we can grow this shindig. And we're out. Peace.